I've come to quite like having low vision, as silly as that sounds. You're listening to Legally Blind. Don't for one minute think that if you can't read music, you can't compose. A podcast with Bobby Golder. How are you a Paralympian? That's a question I ask myself every day, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> There's never been a better time to be disabled, Bobby. Today, Bobby chats to Lloyd Coleman. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Legally Blind. Um, my name is Bobby Golder, and I'm joined today by an inspirational man. Um, James Risden described him as the next candidate for a knighthood for services for being a top guy. Um, this is Lloyd Coleman, composer, clarinetist, uh, presenter, ocarina player, I discovered what, on your website just today. Oh, goodness, what a James been saying. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I guess most notably at the moment, the associate music director for the Power Orchestra. Welcome, Lloyd. Thanks so much for, for oh, coming. Thank you for having me, Bobby. It's a pleasure to be in touch with you. I'd love to just have a chat with you about your work and um, go in, go a little bit into your condition and how that's affected things, if mm-hmm. you don't mind. Um, of course. Let's just talk about music and how you originally came to to be in music. Um, yeah, where did it all come from? It was, for as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated by music and by sounds. In, um, in my first school in Wales... There was a piano in the school hall, just an, an ordinary upright piano. And we used to walk into assembly every morning and I would just be sort of drawn towards that instrument. I wanted to sort of go up to it and touch it and <laughs> play it and, and play it in the same way. We had a, a, a school teacher called Missy Davis, um, who later became my first piano teacher. So she would play the piano while we would sing kind of school hymns every morning in, in assembly. And... You know, I'd sort of strategically placed myself in the hall so that I would be sat near the piano. And I just loved the look of the instrument, the sound of it. And one morning, um, did you have a thing when you were at school, like, called wet play? So, you know, like, you can't go out into the schoolyard yeah, to, kind of, yeah. to play, that, kind of, that whole thing. We called it wet play. So, obviously, growing up in Wales, we had a lot of wet play. <laughs> it always rains in Wales. And um, I do remember this. It's like one of my earliest school memories. I um, was just sat down one morning and, you know, chaos all around me, obviously, with, with kids drawing and and playing and drinking milk and and making a mess in the sandpit and so on Um, (laughs) the lads with their milks (laughs) yeah yeah exactly well you know back when we used to have you know milk every morning um um, I also have a hearing impairment as well um so that I turned up to my first day at school um not really being able to speak I had very little language because my hearing impairment was diagnosed quite late it wasn't from birth. It was um, as a result of a meningitis infection I had when I was, uh, you know, six to eight months old. Right. Um, so you know, you can imagine it. There's just kind of me in the middle of this carnage. Yeah, you know, with very little speech, wearing glasses already, which to help with my visual impairment, and and not yet wearing hearing aids. So actually, you know, quite kind of isolated from my peers in that sense. Wow. As you can hear now, like you can't shut me up these days. You know, the, I went to speech therapy. I've been trying for the last five minutes, actually. But... Yeah, no, <laughs> you're going to have to butt in. <laughs> um, so, uh, but just to sort of finish this story, like, you know, in, in this wet play, I grabbed, you know, a big sheet of A3 paper and got a, a crayon or something and just started scrawling across it 
something that looked fairly similar to music, you know, three or four, it wasn't five lines as it should be. I think it was three or four lines in, you know, big, thick crayon right across the page with like a few squiggles that looked a little bit like a musical note and maybe a, a sort of upside down treble clef and was this a, a wonky bass clef. You knew what you were, you were yeah, trying to write. Knowingly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was trying to write music. I couldn't, I didn't know, you know, how to write it, but I was obviously trying to sort of replicate, uh, imitate yeah, and, yeah. and replicate what I'd seen on, on the piano. So it's a very long winded way of saying, you know, my parents who at that point, remember, there wasn't a piano in the house. There wasn't like classical music in the sort of ordinary sense it was just like pop music on the radio and so they realized at that point well you know Lloyd's obviously got an interest in music it's one of the few things that he's like showed like a real interest in as a as a fairly quiet child and so they sent me off to piano lessons and then piano lessons were like the highlight of my week every Friday Mrs Davis um at her house and I I used to go you know having practiced all the pieces and and just wanting to to make up music and and play music and be creative with it. I suppose, like, I I didn't know there was such a thing as a professional musician, Mm. but I knew that music was something that made me feel good and excited and gave me kind of an inner world that I sort of could escape into. Amazing. Um, So, yeah, that was my route in. What a shining example of, you know, no matter what what problems you face or, or, you know, Mm. whether it's communication or visual or hearing, or it, it sounds like in the early years, all three for you, um definitely definitely it's it's such a good good expressive device i think so and also i mean if it hadn't have been for i think it's an example of 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 the importance of of music education in schools Mm -hmm. obviously and i know it's something that many people feel passionate about and um you know just having people around you so including mrs david my first piano teacher you know like really taking the care to like to teach me um, not even in spite of my impairment, but just like working with them. So one thing, you probably, I'd be interested to know whether you had this when you were learning music, Bobby, like uh, I have uh, nystagmus, so I have a, a, a certain amount of vision, but it is quite difficult to focus on small um, small dots, basically, yeah. you know, small finely printed music. So I used to find myself memorising a lot of music, mm-hmm. which Mrs Davis, you know, really encouraged um, in and... and, and encouraged me to work with that and I think that's partially why I've become a composer and wanted to be creative with it because you know when you memorize music you get a real sense then don't you of of kind of how music fits together and what notes really work together is it the same for you um very similar in fact I I have some vision but I can't really see Mm. details so I can see out my periphery I can find my way around and not get run over and stuff um, mm-hmm. I've had some close calls, but uh, and we all, yeah. especially with cyclists. Oh god! <laughs> and uh, well, I used to be a cyclist as well. That was an awful, Did that you? Was an awful idea. Yeah. If you can't beat them or, or just join <laughs> them, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah. So you know, sort of late years at primary school. You know, my mm. teachers were just a bit like, "You're a bit slow at sight reading, aren't you?" I was like, "Yeah, I guess I am." <laughs> And there wasn't really an explanation for it until, you know, until I was, yeah, 10 or 11. 
Oh, and then, um, I mean, I'm really grateful for this change, for this, uh, the gradual nature of the change, because mm. it allowed me to, to kind of slowly adapt and find ways around it. Yeah, I, you know what, that's really, yeah, and I'm, in a, in a, in a slightly different way, I'm grateful for that as well, because my, both my, the level of my vision and my hearing has remained constant ever since, you know, those uh-huh, early right, years. Yeah. So I've kind of always lived with, I've never really known anything different, either for better or for worse, it's just been like, a constant you know this is the way I perceive the world mm. and the hearing aids went in at a relatively young age I think it was five or six when I first started wearing hearing aids not long after I started school but as you say like people who have like um you know uh, a, a very sort of dramatic uh, uh loss of a sense at some point in their lives you know that that with that comes a whole different um set of challenges I suppose and yeah I, obviously, we've been doing a lot of thinking about Beethoven lately as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Beethoven, from the other side of things, you know, I get asked a lot about Beethoven in the most cringe way, <laughs> like, you know, get compared to him. And, and look, can I just clarify on this podcast here now, I'm not comparing myself to a Beethoven whatsoever. Like, uh, I wasn't the one that brought it up. Just, no, uh... <laughs> I know, I know, no, but I, I, I want to use this forum, if I may. I'm hijacking your podcast because... I, what I find interesting about the Beethoven story is that for me, the the miracle of Beethoven composing as a deaf composer is not the fact that he was deaf. It was the fact that he was deafened, if I can put it that way. Mm. Um, he, you know, he contended with becoming deaf in a time and a place that was so different to the modern world. You know, he didn't have the technology that we have available to us now. Um, he yeah. didn't have the social, you know, the social understanding and, the, and the, the, the society in which we live now. You know, the 19th century Vienna was a very different place as a society to 21st century UK, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just stating the obvious. But, like, people often forget about that. They just focus on, oh, well, how did he hear the music he wrote? Well, he, you know, he was a composer. He, he had this unbelievable, like... Uh, facility even before he became deaf yeah. um, and and in many ways maybe you know speculating obviously but maybe his deafness helped Beethoven you know to to write me that was ever more adventurous and exciting um, and pushing the boundaries maybe it would in partly because of that I mean while we're on the subject of, of Beethoven Lloyd um, <laughs> let's let, <laughs> here we go let's yeah I, let's do co- now. let's do Coleman versus Beethoven <laughs> You, you walk uh, straight into that. Uh, no, it's been lovely to talk to yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, fine. Beethoven aside, I, I count myself incredibly lucky um, to to have a good good pair of ears. And when people ask me, mm. you know, wow, you're visually impaired. Does that mean you're hearing so much better? Do you know? Have you, is that? And oh, yeah, I, that one. Yeah, I have yeah. have the great privilege of being able to say, well, well, yeah, actually. Mm. Um, I am astounded by by the fact that you you know you, you don't have that that privilege and I'm really curious to know how how you've been able to carry out your music uh you know with both disabilities Yeah I I think with the hearing aids definitely help on a sort of you know I'm having this conversation with you now on Zoom yeah. um and you know again technology and digital hearing aids that I now use are very sophisticated in kind of, uh, you know, picking out certain details of people's voices or certain everyday sounds that exist around me. So I have a, a, a moderate to severe hearing loss in both ears. Um, and as I said earlier, like that has remained the same all the way 
through my life, really. It hasn't really deteriorated, and it's particularly in higher frequencies. Okay. So, um, you know, say the top... Ooh, yeah, say the top octave of a piano, mm. I can hear if it's, you know, beyond a certain... Um, amplitude or volume um but if you you know take that top octave and put it onto a violin say and play it quietly and you know in a harmonic it's going to be a lot harder for me to pick up so in terms of like everyday speech sounds as well like things like the consonants like you can probably hear i've got a slight kind of lisp as well uh, because those kind of s's and those you know f's and, and and high frequency data basically is the stuff that is more difficult for me to pick up okay um, i see yeah that makes sense to yeah you. yeah but with the hearing aid technology as well like i suppose it's, it's a it's a case of like um be careful of what you wish for because the more sophisticated the, te- the technology becomes you don't always get you know the in a musical context at least you don't always get the sounds that you want enhanced so as a clarinet player i'm used to you know sitting in the middle of an orchestra and i have a very in a, in a standard orchestral layout i have a kind of an experience of playing in an orchestra that I'm familiar with, you know, kind of with the brass from the back and the string from the front. You have a kind of spectrum around you that you're used to, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a better word, so spectrum. And and so it's like, that's interesting because when you become used to that with a certain pair of hearing aids, when you then change over to a new pair every few years, you have to then slightly readjust what you're hearing but um a little story like when i got these latest this latest pair of hearing which made by a company called fonac you know other manufacturers available but fonac is one of the well-known um one a bit of brand placement there <laughs> yeah well i have no uh have no commercial deal with them but uh um fonac if you're listening yeah. <laughs> um it's it's funny because i got a new pair of hearing aids from them which are amazing and that you know they I, I was lucky enough you know to have been um, earning for a bit and I could save a bit a bit of money to, to pay for them and they were great with like everyday conversation walking down the street you know in a noisy bar or in a noisy pub and things like that they were picking out people really really well and then I went I came and did a gig in Bristol actually where I now live um, it was for the Bristol Jazz Festival and it was the first sort of patch of work I'd done since getting the new pair of hearing aids and it was horrible because I went into the room and there was it was quite a you know rhythmically driven gig so there were like lots of guitar lots of um, uh, percussion lots of drum kit mm-hmm. and the hearing aids were really like overloading my senses okay. with you know hi hat basically and and snares and 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 it was really horrible like and it was just the the whole I sort of had to go back to the audiologist and say look you know I'm having this problem because the hearing aid is actually is over amplifying certain sounds in my in my hearing loss range and and they they they've dealt with that to a degree but I, I, after a while I just become used to it like if someone else put my hearing aids in or, or you know were able to sort of experience what I experienced they'd probably find it incredibly uh unpleasant actually like really unpleasant they would be kind of wincing probably at the sound of it but you you almost your brain i think starts to train itself didn't it like to sort of adjust to what you're what you're experiencing i mean all the neurology around you know these these kinds of conditions i think is is so interesting 
where are we in like in terms of the technology available for um for hearing aids because i mean for a few gigs i've used um you know in-ear monitors where you get to kind of adjust the frequencies and turn this yeah. up and turn that down like is there something available that you can adjust how much of a certain frequency you I, i've no idea i'm completely in the dark there are a few um people I know who use hearing aids and are incredibly fine musicians. Some of them play in the power orchestra that I, I work with. Um, so it's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously the, the spectrum of music nowadays, I mean, this is another thing with just going back to Beethoven as well. Obviously the volume of music in Beethoven's day was nowhere near what it is now. Right. Like even in a classical sense, obviously, orchestras have grown, they're louder, they're bigger, they're, you know, the drums are bigger, the brass are louder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, everything's just like sort of heightened and obviously our everyday lives are... Some subtly rolling louder. tips are yes, quite the yeah, same yeah. as <laughs> ACDC style <laughs> drummer. <laughs> All of that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, and, and I, you know, a, a noisy club or a, a, a big festival like Glastonbury yeah. or actually one of the loudest gigs I've ever been involved with it actually um I don't know if James talked about it because he was involved James Risden was involved in this gig as well it was the first kind of big gig we did with power orchestra um at the Paralympic closing ceremony yeah, yeah. yeah and it was like obviously if you imagine just that field of play you know you've got 50,000 people there you've got Coldplay and you've got um I think it's Rihanna like on a swing somewhere <laughs> in the stadium singing like it just like it was quite it's like a, a sort of surreal dream yeah. really when I'm when I, uh, I mean, think about it but the swing like, especially you know, is <laughs> yeah uh, you know just like swinging around and you're like that's Rihanna, that Rihanna. Like, oh I'm on now. yeah gotta play <laughs> Um, but that that gig was incredibly loud you know like yeah. it was just it, it was kind of awesome amount of like a stadium gig like that it's just an awesome amount of power mm-hmm. like you can actually feel the entire ground beneath your feet like rumbling Shaking, with, yeah. with 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 the obviously the, the power of the the music and the the sub bass but also um the crowd and everything around that it's kind of a, a incredible like sensory experience actually mm. so hang on was the paralympic games was that pretty much your the, the first the first major gig for the for the orchestra or had it pretty much yeah we did a couple of like smaller gigs lead, leading up to it but yeah that was like and were you were gig- you involved in in the role you're currently in from that point no well no this is where it gets complicated okay. so so i was a i was a founder member of power orchestra with along with james and uh 17 18 musicians i think it was sure. at that stage um the power Orchestra, i should say in case people aren't aware it was founded by um a conductor called charles hazelwood um who uh, had been conducting orchestras around the world for 20 30 years and um had realized that he'd encountered very few people who openly identified as disabled. Um, And Charles's daughter, um, Eliza, was born with cerebral palsy. And this really opened... When Eliza was born, um, Charles sort of realised, you know, this this fact that disabled people and the community uh, of disabled people in its kind of huge variety and forms wasn't properly represented... um, in the music industry and more specifically in orchestras mm-hmm. um so he set up the power orchestra in 2020 2012 no 2012 um <laughs> obviously the timing was really 
key in the story because obviously the Paralympic Games were coming to London. So it was a moment where we had, we were actually called the British Power Orchestra to begin with. And it was a way of challenging the world to think about, um, uh. you know, the idea of doing the same in music for uh, disabled musicians as we had, you know, as, as the Paralympic movement yeah. had done for sport. Yeah. I think many people maybe including myself i include myself in there you know suspected the paralympics were going to be a kind of like you know a bit of an add-on or a bit of an anti-climax to the olympics mm. but by god they weren't i mean and a big reason for that was because of the coverage that channel four did of it as well right um you know they did a great job with the explaining to people what paralympic sport was all about and um, showing excellent competitive sport you know not sport that's just like oh it's nice to have isn't it nice they took part kind of sport right. but much more like actually competitive um high tech high energy yeah, yeah. with loads of amazing human stories like mixed into it just as you have in olympic sport um, and I suppose, yeah, Charles, you know, is a visionary and, and always has been a visionary because he saw this opportunity to, to sort of highlight how disabled musicians didn't, you know, often don't get the same opportunities. I mean, there are still halls, professional concert halls in the UK where the stage is not fully accessible mm. to a wheelchair user, for instance. Yeah. You know, you have to you have to put in a specially adapted ramp um, to, to be able to put a wheelchair user on stage. Um, so until thing, you know, things as fundamental as that change, mm. um, I, I think actually there's still quite a long way to go. And, and really in the, in the sort of grand history of Power Orchestra, I think there is still a long way to go. Um, but I think our sort of mission has from the start and remains to this day is about making really good music first and foremost. You know, like that's how we change people's hearts and minds, you know, because I think I don't know, obviously, your story in detail, Bobby, but I don't, I don't know if you've ever kind of come across people who, you know, look at you and, and, and see that you're visually impaired and and go well, I suppose, ask you that question of, oh, well, how do you play music? And, and they sort of maybe, without hearing your music, they suspect that maybe you're not quite as good as a a non-disabled uh, sort of peer or other player. Um, I don't, you know, I, I sometimes sense that that's what people think about uh, disabled musicians or they associate disability music making with something that is therapeutic right. or something that is nice for the person to do. Yeah instead of readily associating it with, of good you know, quality. it can be great music, great art. Definitely, yeah. Well, interesting you asked that question. I, maybe I'm very lucky, but I haven't actually had the sense that people have, have thought, you know, oh, isn't that nice for him to mm. do music? He's probably mm. not as good as uh, a fully sighted player. And I'm really glad to hear that. And, I, and also, I think it's like, there are all kinds of nuances, you know, we could talk all night about, you know, sort of, sort of the idea of declaring a disability or... or you know, if your disability is hidden or yeah. uh, visible, you know, there's all those kind of like nuances on that spectrum. Um, and indeed at Power Orchestra now, we, we have many musicians who are visually impaired, they're blind, they're uh, hearing impaired, deaf, uh, wheelchair users, um, they're, you know, neurodiverse, a whole spectrum of different kinds of disabilities, which is wonderful because you find that you just learn so much from other people and how they approach life and music. Um, and not in that kind of, you know, soppy kind of 
inspirational porn way, you know. Uh, it's much more in that kind of like, actually the way they go about their practice and their art is in a very real and fundamental way. Like it really influences, um, is influenced by all of their lived experience, not only their disability, but it's certainly a big part of it. Definitely. And some of them are also non-disabled. You know, it's like, it, that's another big part of what we do now. Is that brothers, in the yeah. In those early days, it was about highlighting that issue. And so it was an ensemble made up purely of disabled musicians. Um, but nowadays, um, we integrate the two groups. So we integrate non-disabled musicians and disabled musicians together and I think that's a far more like inclusive way of making music so we're not creating we're not interested in creating another ghetto uh, for any kind of musician you know we, we want to just have all of life in there and all experiences. I really really respect this because I think y- you, you could run into problems if you start saying well sorry you're not disabled you, exactly. you can't you can't come in <laughs> and and exactly and inclusivity actually becomes just another form of exclusivity totally and you're just but you're just setting up another another silo basically mm. for those people in which they just all talk to themselves over here and then the rest of the industry goes oh great they've got disabled people you know disabled people and musicians covered and we'll just carry on over here doing our thing which is not um being challenged in any way by uh, you know, a more inclusive or integrated model. Yeah, it sounds slightly sort of, uh, what's the word, like reductive to sort of put it like this. But yeah, like both groups will will always be Because together. there are two groups of people in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, that's what I mean, exactly. Yeah, it yeah, it I, sounds so reductive, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you think there's, now that it's, you know, it's a very exclusive, sorry, <laughs> very inclusive uh, group of <laughs> disabled musicians and also non-disabled musicians. Mm. Um, do you think that runs into a problem with the name para orchestra? Because we think of the Paralympic Games as being mm. sport kind of for disabled people. That is a really interesting question. I think many people don't know that para in Paralympic sport mm-hmm. actually stands for parallel um, and not, you know, many people... I didn't know myself until a couple of years ago, you know, I think there's sometimes an assumption that, you know, the power stands for um, paralysed or, or something, sort of, yeah, paraplegic <laughs> or something similar to that, yeah. Whereas, in, in fact, I like that idea of, you know, power orchestra simply meaning, well, let's take the word orchestra to start, you know, orchestra simply meaning a collective of musicians right. in whatever form that is. So as we've kind of already alluded to, you know, we work in a lot of different styles of music. So we just use the word orchestra as a kind of, as a catch-all term for like, yeah. we have a pool of musicians that we draw from for different projects. And then the, the, the sort of prefix power is, um, I suppose, just is, is highlighting then the, the sort of the more social objective behind the orchestra. Mm. Um, but as I said, we, when we were first set up, we used to be called the British Power Orchestra because it was it, it was tying in with that idea of an international movement and maybe other countries would be setting up their own equivalents to the Power Orchestra. We, we've since dropped the British because we felt it just maybe in, you know, eight years later, it, it felt a bit kind of traditional yeah. and, and a bit kind of, um, you know, parochial maybe, you know, and it's not, a, it's not about being like nationalist like that. Yeah, it's yeah. just about, you know, power orchestra and now on its own, just I think most people know what that, what that is. It's a self-explanatory term, yeah. I wonder if uh, the Paralympic Games should start including non-disabled sportsmen and women. Well... Or am I completely ignorant? Maybe they have. I don't know. No, that's another interesting thing. So... 
This is where I think, again, and I'm not claiming credit for this idea because this is something that Charles has talked a lot about, but I think he's totally right. It's this idea of um, music being far more universal in many ways than sport. So with sport, you have, you know, a set of rules that you play that particular sport within and it's a competition. So, you know, you have to train at that discipline. And of course, you... (laughs) With all the will in the world, in a comp- in a competitive sport, you can't say have a visually impaired football team playing against a non visually impaired football team. You know, you you kind of know which side is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. That's the thing, isn't it? Because it's a competitive thing, and the rules don't allow for that. Whereas, if you think about like the whole idea of the social model of disability, and actually, there is a that sort of fits a lot more easily into into music. Actually, because music is a if that does sound a bit corny, but it is a universal language, and you can kind of you know. Uh, take similar if not the same uh, kind of cultural meanings from music in one country you can another where a sport you know I suppose what we already talked about it you're a big football fan you know I, I'm, I'm not interested in football but I am interested in Formula One and, and another person will be interested in archery or I don't know if you're Donald Trump you like golf <laughs> God knows why. <laughs> I mean, I, I, do you like golf? I do I not like golf. Okay. I, I, I think it's the most, my dad likes golf. I, I can't understand why. I've met enough people who do like golf that I've kind of, I've, yeah. I've tamed my, uh, <laughs> my reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I also yeah. don't really understand. Um, there's no doubt that the Olympics and I don't know, maybe the, the World Cup final are, are the, are by a country mile, the, the most watched the most experienced mm. events in the world. Definitely. And also, like, well, I, it, everybody likes music. They're, not everybody likes the same kind of music. Mm. But, I mean, I don't know, find me a person who says, I really don't <laughs> like any kind of music. <laughs> I've realised we're on a podcast about visual impairments and I haven't really asked yeah. you about your eyesight. <laughs> 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 um, do you mind just quickly running running me by like the, the effects of your condition and how you actually access music and how you do your sure. your composing and, and yeah yeah so um i i've had nastagmus since i was born so um as i mentioned earlier like i think i i tend to memorize a lot more music yeah. um in terms of um, accessing music, like I have a, a Mac computer here, which is a nice big Mac computer, um, which I, I just find Mac, I mean, Mac, for me, as you, I don't need to tell you, you know, <laughs> Mac is the thing to have for as a musician. Um, so, you know, Logic is much easier. Well, you can't use Logic on any other thing, I don't think. But like, I just like that thing of being able to zoom into different parts of the screen very, very quickly. And day to day, my sort of spatial awareness and, and vision is pretty good like you like you know I, I sort of if I was walking down the street you probably wouldn't be able to tell that I'm visually impaired um I, I I'm pretty good at like getting about and I mean I like running a lot as well mm. I'm really into running um so I think like outdoors is sometimes difficult because of bright sunlight so particularly in the summer months I, I have photophobia which is kind of connected to you know my albinism and my nystagmus as well so I sometimes wear tinted glasses or sunglasses on a, on a brighter day or a peak cap um, just to kind of to, to counteract that um, 
I think for me, like, in a musical setting, I'm trying to think of examples where it might have held me back. Like, when I was younger and, like, really learning about music and learning lots of music and playing in orchestra as a, as a clarinet player, um, I was fortunate in that my mum, as I mentioned earlier, she's a nursery nurse and, and was working in a in a primary school. And so she had access to a photocopier. Now, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Like, you know, it's like enlarging music. I spent so much time in the photocopying <laughs> office at school. There we go. <laughs> exactly. I got to know Pat very well. She was, she was, <laughs> she was a star. That's the thing. It's so, and, and I was just so lucky. Like my, you know, I used to bring home the books of the, of the, the piano grades and the, the clarinet music that I was learning or the orchestral music. And my mum would then just go into school on Monday morning um, enlarge it all and and bring it home and, and put it into, you know, put it onto card. So it didn't, you know, that thing where you've got like a piece of A3 paper and it just sort of flops over the music stand. Do I know that? And you're that? just like, oh. <laughs> How did you get around that? Did you have to put it on card as well? Uh, yeah, uh, well, I had a few... A few a few ways around my dad is a very skilled uh carpenter (laughs) he's i mean not by profession but he happens to be very good at woodwork and he built me this uh like extended music stand thing that you can hook onto onto a music stand and it is basically a a larger um a larger plane that you can rest a three sheets on oh my Um, god and then when my vision got even worse and i couldn't and A3 uh, sheets weren't accessible mm-hmm. to me. Um, my mum, bless her, um, got to grips with Sibelius and, and started yeah. typing out my, my like French horn parts for wind band and Amazing. things like that. Um, and then when that was uh, no longer accessible, I, I, mm. I conceded and I uh, started learning everything by ear. I, I would yeah. just sort of listen to the, the horn next to me and figure out which note was missing in the chord. And <laughs> of course, so your inner ear then is, is much better as well yeah. because of that. So do, do you, can you read any printed music now or do you use braille music or anything? Like that i don't use braille no i i um and no i can't really read printed music if it's very large and i've i don't need to sight read it kind of mm. in real time i yeah i can access a score you know using the technology we've we've talked about yeah um, but i can't kind of turn up at a gig with a with the score in front of me and, and sight read well you know this is a, and this is a when we were talking about you know um, access barriers to musicians, you know, mm. in a, in a, an orchestral setting, that is one of the very obvious ones, isn't it? Like for a visually impaired musician, even if you've got some sight, like I have, actually, you know, if I had to um, try and sit every day, like trying to read, you know, very very small music, but often quite complex music if it's a new piece, yeah, um, or uh, music that's been scribbled over by, you know, twenty. <laughs> other clarinet players who've used that part before me and you're trying to tell what is actually the printed music and what's not um if like that is kind of a way in which you know that that's what makes the orchestral world so kind of impenetrable i think to so many musicians and it's the same with kind of um the depping circuits in pit orchestras and Mm -hmm. it's it's built so that it's possible for a, a musician to just show up on the day, maybe a quick rehearsal or, or just to sit in and then you'll be able to play the show. And yeah. it, it's so, it then becomes that bit harder for a, for a disabled musician because they need that bit of preparation and they need the, the forewarning. So like certain gigs become unavailable. And you know what? Actually, this actually relates, sorry to interrupt, yes. but this kind of relates to what you were saying earlier, you were asking earlier about the Paralympic sport question. Yeah. 
I suppose this is the equivalent of the visually impaired football team against the non-VI football team, mm. you know, and it, it is not literally, it is literally not a level playing field. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone, for all these mixed metaphors and puns. But you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's not a level not literally playing field. not, literally not a level playing field. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone understands what I'm getting at with that. Um, so, if, if, but it's... It really isn't. And, and so I think until these practices that things like Paralympics or power orchestras are uh, promoting, you know, until they become more widespread, I think there will always be a case for them because I, I know of very few orchestras who would be able to take the same care over access requirements for musicians of all kinds um, in the sort of, as you, exactly as you say, because of the, um, the economics around it. Well, I think I think we better wrap it up, Lloyd. But there's, as always, <laughs> there's so much more we can talk about. Um, we'll have to come back and do a part two. Part two. Time. Part two. Maybe maybe with James as well. You can both come. That would be great. I just think James is a, an extraordinary musician and, oh. and and actually a really a dear friend as well. And it was so nice of him to. Yeah. Well, you can make up your own mind whether it was nice of him to suggest that it I was, should join it you. It was as a pretty guest. nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty nice. Maybe again. It's honestly been a privilege for me to talk to you because, um, uh, yeah, I've, I've been made aware of your work and, and really, really inspired by it. Um, oh, thank you, Bobby. Likewise. Speaking of inspiration, Lloyd, uh, just just to end on, is there anything you would say to uh, a six-year-old curious pianist and clarinetist who who has a visual impairment and a hearing impairment i would say there is nothing or there's nothing you can't do on a sort of broad level but um follow your own path you know don't you don't have to follow the path of others um you can find your own way into the industry if that's what you end up doing, you can find your own music, you can find your own people um, and be open and curious. You know, I, I've done other things as well that we haven't had time to talk about around, you know, broadcasting and things. And that that has come from like another place, you know, connected to music, but just like by meeting people and being open to new experiences and trying new things. You never know who you might meet and the experience, the amazing experiences you might have and the places you might be able to go to. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, follow your... Let's find another cliche to end on. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow, follow your, your dream. dream. No, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. And thank I, you, Bobby. I hope we can, uh, we can catch up again. Definitely. And maybe work together as well and, and, uh, and make music together. That would be nice. That's the whole point, really, isn't it? That's, that's, yeah. that's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great to chat, Bobby. Great to chat. Thank you. Next time on Legally Blind. How can we use technology to open up instruments to more people? Jay Pocknell. In the coming years, there'll be much better representation of blind and partially sighted people in music. Thanks for listening. <laughs>